Hey friends, before we get into the show, here are some announcements on things that I'm going to be doing in real life that you can join us for. One, you can join me in LA this weekend, the 26th and the 27th for the Q Worship Collective Worship Weekend. I'm doing a keynote on Friday morning and a set in the evening, so get into it, Hanny. Um, you can go to qworshipcollective.org to learn more about that. And then in October, I'm going to be at Theology Beer Camp all the way over in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. This is put on by a theology um, or the Homebrew Theology Podcast by Trip Fuller, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, doing a live show there. And my drag persona, Gagatha Christie, is going to be there as well. If you want to get $50 off your ticket, you can use the code FAVEANTS. That's F-A-V-E-A-U-N-T-S. You'll get $50 off your ticket, and um, they'll know that me and my friend Sarah from Your Favorite Ants sent you. Um, other things going on, tarot school is starting up in just a little bit. So if you've been wanting to learn tarot, how to read it, what's it about, how can I use it as a daily practice, how can I demystify it a little bit, uh, come hang out with us. That is going to be September 1st, 8 p.m., for eight weeks. It's an online course. Everything is recorded and uh, replayable. So don't worry, you do not have to attend the class live, but attending the class live is where the magic happens, baby. Um, and finally, um, this fall cohort is kicking off on September 12th. It the, the practice cohort is 12 weeks of learning how to do life on purpose again, how to reclaim your joy, how to undo those shitty spiritual beliefs that you've been holding on to for so long and how to actually start feeling better using your spiritual practices, using what you know intuitively. It's a journey of gentleness and coming back to forgiveness. It's the best thing I do. And if you want more information on that, go to thekevingarcia.com slash cohort. All my shit's at thekevingarcia.com. So make sure you go check that out. And also, if you want to read the first chapter of my book, Bad Theology Kills, you can do that by becoming, just get on my newsletter list. It's completely free. So go to Go to that. Go to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe and join. Okay, let's get into the show now. Welcome back to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. Today, I am talking with the author of the new book, The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus, Damon Garcia. You might be asking, are y'all related? And I'm saying, I mean, can't you tell? We're, we look so similar. Um, yeah, we're cousins for sure. We're cousins. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Damon. Damon Garcia is a writer, video essayist, and public theologian for a liberative Christianity. His work is inspired by liberation theology, decolonial, the, decol, decolonial, decolonial? Someone tell me how I'm pronouncing that. Uh, decolonial theory and anti-capitalist politics as he helps people unsettle and untangle the influence of Christian teachings developed to justify colonization. Mmm, so delicious. Like I said, he's the writer and author of the new book, The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus, which just came out this past Tuesday from Broadleaf Books. Um, he lives in Santa Maria, California, and I loved this conversation because, again, as some of y'all know, I'm really trying to figure out, like, for some fucking reason, like, it's this, I want to identify who I am. I want to know who I am. And so I feel like the reason I keep talking to all these different kinds of Christians is really 
both because I want to explore if there is some kind like something in my faith tradition that I come from that is usable um, even even if there is all of the bullshit going around even if Christian nationalism on is on the rise is there a way to say no I'm not I'm not like them and still be proud to be a Christian I don't know because again like anytime I mean this is a whole different kind of philosophical conversation for another time but I'm really 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 enjoying the the process of exploration I don't feel lost I feel once again I feel in wonder so hopefully during this conversation you're going to have similar feelings to me Damon is a really really wonderful human I'm excited about meeting him at Theology Beer Camp so I think that you should come hang out with us um that's just a little bit over a month away and also I um if you're interested in sort of possibly creating some online gathering spaces on a more regular basis and you want to help, stay tuned at the end of the episode for um, an invitation from me. Anyways, let's get into it. This is my conversation with the author, the fabulous, the theologian, and my cousin, Damon Garcia. Enjoy, y'all. Round two. Right. Um, did you play Mortal Kombat growing up? Was yeah. that a thing that you were able to do? Yeah, of course. But who did you play with? Uh, my brother, I think. My older brother. Yes, that. But what character did you play with? I don't remember the character name. Uh, what was what was the snow snow one? Uh, oh, Sub Zero. Sub Zero. Yes, I think that guy. Yes, Sub Zero. Uh, truly, it was just. A treat of a human. Um, yeah. Anyways, so glad to be with you. So glad to be near you. Um, welcome to a tiny revolution. I'm glad that we actually get to do this round two. Yes, I'm glad to. Uh, okay, so let's just redo all the things I asked before. How do you introduce yourself to people right now? Also, thank you for being here. And thank you for like putting up with my bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no problem. Uh, like I said last time, I've been looking forward to this. Because, uh, yeah, I've been following your work for a while. And I'm excited, uh, everything you're doing with the tarot book, too. I'm excited to see Thanks. what's to come for that, from that. I, I'm i really enjoying the process. Um, I will tell you this. I shouldn't be managing my own projects. Because I'm still getting emails like, hey, I did the pre-order. And I'm like, shit, I don't know where. I, I'll send it today. Don't know where that order was. Don't know how I didn't see it. But here you go. Oh, man. So... Uh, so if you're out there and you're missing your book, um, just keep bothering me on social media. Leave me a comment. That's probably the fastest way to get customer service from me. Um, so enough about me. Sorry. Yes. Uh, my meds are still kicking in. <laughs> Who the hell are you? Hi. What do you do? How do you introduce yourself to folks right now? I'm Damon and I make... I mostly focus on making videos on YouTube and Instagram about the connection between leftist politics and a more radical Christianity. And what's funny is like, as I've, as people have found out that I'm writing a book, if it's like someone that I don't know very well, ask me, Oh, what's your book about? I'll just say religion and politics, (laughs) religion and politics. And then if they ask more then I'll try to get into a little bit, I've like, three or four layers of descriptions of the book, depending on yeah. who asks. Depending on who it is, and also <laughs> depending on their reaction, because it's like, yeah. I can 
if you say religion and politics, like, ah, okay, don't want to go there. Yeah. Religion and politics. Hmm. What kind, what, what sorts of things about religion and politics? Uh, I talk about, le- and then, mm. yeah. And then, I, and then there's a person who really like wants to debate with you and you're like, I am just out here in Publix trying to get like my fried chicken. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. just me at least. Yeah. There was a, this guy at a bar asked that and then I said religion and politics and then he was like, that's depressing. <laughs> I was like, it can be, but we got to, like, yeah, that's why we got to put out good stuff. But, uh. Yeah, so so then and then I just wrote this book called The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus, coming out from uh, Broadleaf Books on August 23rd. It's almost here. And also it feels like a very timely thing to have. Um, and what's really lovely about us finally getting together now is I'm actually working on a series right now called What the Fuck America, mm. where I want to talk about Christian nationalism and you can't talk about Christian nationalism without talking about a lot of the bullshit theologies that are underpinning all of these things. Yeah. And your book addresses a lot of those things. And um, I need to pull up my, my little copy because I highlighted things that I wanted to ask about. Um, but before I get into my questions, when you tell me about the book, give, give the people the pitch. What do they need to know about the God who riots? Yeah, the first off, the title is in reference to Jesus and the temple and flipping tables and pouring out coins and all that, which mm. growing up when I would hear that story, it was always framed as like a spontaneous thing, like a temper tantrum that Jesus just couldn't yeah. hold back his anger. And then also it was only brought up in sermons about anger and righteous anger and saying, well, sometimes it's okay to get angry. Here's mm. the story of Jesus getting a little bit too angry. And we wouldn't talk about the implications of what he was saying and what he was doing in the temple. And what I find really interesting is when he goes in and says, you've turned this place to a den of robbers. A den of robbers isn't where people are robbed. It's where robbers go and hide to avoid the consequences. And so he's essentially accusing the religious Mm. authorities of his day of using their religion to hide and avoid the injustice going on in the world. And so, oh, come on, yeah. come yes, on. We yes, know yes. that's we know that's more relevant than ever because we all know Christians who do the same thing with their religion, and so it's also connected to the the um, the riots that came from the protests after George Floyd's murder and all the mm. discussion on that and Christians debating back and forth about like what's okay, what's not okay, what what is the real purpose of the protests and all of that and i remember the third night of those protests there um they lit the precinct on fire in minneapolis and Mm -hmm. i was watching the live stream for that and that was also like covid had just started or the lockdowns had just started and we were um not sure how long it was going to last and or exactly how fatal it was and so a lot of people were asking where is god in all this and then when I mm-hmm. saw that live stream, I thought, that's where God is. That's exactly like, where God there is. She is. Yeah, there exactly. she is. Right there. <laughs> and so she's like she's yeah. manifesting her herself in these people like, in the outrage uh, over the death of her children. Yeah. And then the celebration in front of that burning building was so inspiring to see as well. And that's like mm-hmm. where I saw God as well. So and then it also, of course, made me think of Jesus and that demonstration in the temple and i uh so 
I wanted to write a book connecting those and then also just going through the history of how Christianity has been used to justify so much oppression like we are all very Mm -hmm. familiar with and I wanted to be brutally honest about that and also the stream of Christianity that has empowered colonized and marginalized peoples to reshape the faith and to fight for liberation and so Mm -hmm. that's what it's about yeah and you still call yourself it's like you still I guess I am a Christian yeah I'll tell you what that phrase, I think you've said it in, in you say it in the book, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the search, just like, sometimes I don't want to claim that phrase, or I don't want to like bring that up, because it's like, it's so triggering for so many people. Um, and yet still, there's those of us, I don't like calling myself a Christian. I yeah. really like Jesus. Like, I, I don't know, like, there's no words, mm-hmm. there's no words for, for it, for me. Um, but it's it's one of those things where it's just like I can take Christ without Christianity. I can follow. I feel like I can follow Jesus without being part of like the Christian Church. But something you said in your book. This is the first thing I wanted to pull on. This is from the introduction. Um, it says, uh, "I don't believe." Uh, This book is written from a Christian perspective, and it is mostly about Christianity, not because I believe Christianity is superior to other religions or that Christians have special access to God that non-Christians don't have. Rather, since I grew up in Christianity, it's my responsibility to reclaim my own religious tradition, to empower myself toward liberation. It is the responsibility of people of other religious traditions to reclaim theirs in their own way. That right there, I think is was a missing piece for me in a lot of ways is understanding that when people say they want to reclaim christianity or reclaim the faith of their childhood they're not saying that anyone else has to do it yeah this is like this is what i want to do for my liberation Mm -hmm. and i wonder if you could just pull that even more apart like maybe give me a little bit of background about how you grew up in christianity and how it's because I also know you talk about that in the book a little bit about your story. Yeah, I grew up in a Pentecostal evangelical denomination, and were I, you a tongue talker like me? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the denomination was Foursquare. Do you know about that one? Oh hell, of course I know about Foursquare. We know her. What was your denomination? I was evangelical Pentecostal non-denom, just floating around like. Okay. Part of some like random network up in Virginia, but it was mostly like megachurch offsuits of churches that wanted to become megachurches. Oh wow, yeah, interesting. So. But yeah, I uh, yeah the whole thing. We're uh, talking in tongues. Uh, people were getting slain during every worship. People were running laps around the sanctuary and <sighs> flags, everything. <laughs> so, Come on. And, did you, but did you have the shofar? Did you have the shofar? Oh yeah, definitely. Hell yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that was all fun. And I remember as a little kid, because my parents started going to church when I was two, and they had both come to this realization individually and came together and talked about it, that they wanted to radically change their lives because they had both Mm -hmm. been drug addicts and alcoholics. My dad had been in and out of prison and my mom's sister had started to go to church. And so they thought, I guess that's what you do when you want to change your life. And so they started looking for churches, ended up at Foursquare. And I'm looking back 
at the time growing up it always felt like well yeah this is what jesus does for people's lives and looking back now i realized that a huge part of their transformation was because of the community they had for the first time they had a supportive community that encouraged them in their growth and their health and were always there for them and I, I talk about in the first chapter of the book, like a different understanding of salvation and how in the Bible, salvation is communal. Like it's about, it first starts with uh, the salvation from slavery in Egypt. And mm -hmm. when they talk about salvation or God saving people, it's about saving a whole nation or a whole community. And, and then you get to the New Testament, they still have that idea of salvation, but they start saying talking about salvation in a little bit more of a personal way of personally choosing to live your life differently to join in this collective liberation because mm. we're going to have to do the work. And so I, yeah, growing up, it's like some people re reject uh, all of the, the stories of their faith after they leave it. But I feel like I've just reinterpreted all of it and realize mm. like oh yeah there was something else way deeper going on here throughout my life that I think is really powerful like I remember too when I was a little kid in kids church there was um, this kid from school and elementary school who was at kids church and I was shocked to see him because from my childish perspective only the nice kids at school were Christian and the mean kids were like the furthest thing from it but I was also right. happy because I was like Oh, this kid's gonna be nice to me now. Nice to me and my friends. Because we're both Christians. Exactly. We understand each other now. And so, so they asked who wants to accept Jesus in their heart, and he raised his hand. I was like, Oh yeah, let's go. And then the next day in PE, I was on the blacktop on our numbers with my friends, and I said, Richard got saved last night. And then they said, Saved from what? I was and I was. <laughs> I had ding, no ding, idea. Ding. I had no idea what to say. And uh, but I find it interesting looking back that I knew from a from being a child that salvation or becoming a Christian had to do with changing the way you lived in the world and treating people differently and um, acting differently. And so I'd always kept that. And I think like many others, you started to see hypocrisy and the church mm. and the ways that they were talking about Jesus, realizing that Jesus was way more radical than what these people are making it seem. And then get being, and I always felt like I was given the tools to grow and then I hit the ceiling and had to get uh. out. And so that was, uh, I ended up leaving that in 2017 after years and years of trying to make everything work, trying to synthesize ideas and everything. And then I was finally mm -hmm. able to be honest about everything and I remember I was always um, very open and into like learning from others outside of my bubble and so when the like the last few years when I was still there I found myself in conversations with people who felt comfortable telling me yeah sometimes I or I usually believe but sometimes I doubt and I don't know what to do with that and I got mm. to tell them that's okay that's part of it explore that but then I ended up also finding myself in conversations with people outside of Christianity who would tell me things like, yeah, I usually doubt all this stuff, but sometimes I believe and I don't know what to do with that. And I got to tell them, hey, it's okay. That's part of it. Explore that. And I found myself more drawn to those conversations. And I didn't, I didn't want to 
spend my life like uh, explaining Christianity to Christians. I wanted like something more than that. And so I, after I left, I, I think a, a big part that really helped me and helped me learn a lot was being friends with so many non-Christians. And that's, that's why I wrote that kind of thing in the book that you read. It's that I'm acknowledging that, oh yeah, this isn't, I'm, I'm Christian, but this isn't me saying that, me talking about how great Jesus is and how inspiring this stream of radical Christianity is, isn't me saying this is the one that you got to go to now, um, like the way that some people would. And so I think uh, what's been inspiring for me is to fully embrace Christianity as my faith and Jesus as my Jesus and understand that Jesus is my entry point to God. And Ooh, come on now. others have other entry points because God is way bigger than we like to make it seem. And Hello. so, yeah, I wanted to make sure to clarify that at the beginning of the book. Let me tell you what, that right there, Jesus is my entry point to God. I think that people just like, they, they want, I just want to follow Jesus. I just want you. I'm like, <laughs> I want you to actually meet Jesus so you can realize that he is not the point. You are. Yeah. Like, Jesus is great and lovely, but Jesus didn't do anything that you can't do. You know? Like, Jesus is literally just saying, this is what your potential is. This is what it looks like to be in communion at all times. This is what it looks like to admit that you're wrong. This is what it is like to mourn. This is what it is like to be uh, falsely accused and executed by the state. And also what it is to not pass on the violence. Like, it's like it's all there if you want to see it. Yeah. But, ever, but like, but they just want to start. I was like, nah, Jesus saved my soul. Mm, I just, it won't feel so. They want the feel good, but they don't want like any of the practice, like the communal practices that actually bring about that knowledge of union, like mm-hmm. actual union. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> okay. Yeah. I love just uh, ranting about this kind of shit. So for you... What was the, like, some people, like, at least on, like, ex-Mormon TikTok, they talk about the shelf. It's like, what are the things that I kept putting on my shelf? Like, okay, I'm okay with gay people, but I don't want to deal with it right now. I'm going to put it on the shelf. Okay, what if there's not a hell? I don't know. I'm going to put it on the shelf. Or, okay, so what if Jesus isn't the only way? I'm going to put that on the shelf. Uh, And, like, uh, and eventually the shelf has too many things on it and it breaks. And then you got to, like... So what for you was like the shelf moment where it's just like what bro- what caused you to say, okay, I can't be here anymore? Well, I think um, it was in 2012, I think, um, that I felt called to ministry. And so I started exploring that um, because I knew that this was a huge responsibility to be talking about these ideas and leading people. And so I wanted to really research and learn as much as I could. And I was part of a ministry program in our denomination and did a little bit of Bible college and stuff. But every time I would come across something that challenged my beliefs, I most most of the time I tried to choose truth instead of just loyalty to our in-group. And when I had left, I remember wondering, like, I know a lot of smart people uh, that are also ministers in this thing. How How could they not see what I see? And I think and those moments, they would just choose loyalty to the in-group and mm. stray further and further away from truth. Um, but I remember 
it was it was really early on that I as I started reading other people that um I realized oh yeah those verses that seem to be against gay people aren't saying what we think they're saying and mm-hmm. I remember exploring that a lot and reading um the different angles from gay Christians and really um feeling like oh yeah this is this is obvious but I was very scared because I I could lose my community and so I remember mm-hmm. me and like my best friend at the time were both like separately like I was learning just through studying the Bible differently she had went to college and met gay people finally and became friends mm. with them so we were both Classic. like yeah we're both like wait what's going on and so I remember one day we had a meeting just like laid everything out and and just like and came to the conclusion that at the end like yeah we're pretty convinced that God is cool with gay people but the only thing hold, holding us back is that we would lose our community and um, mm, we didn't know what to that. do with that. And so I, for a long time, just tried to make it work, tried to, like, unconvince myself. And it, it was impossible. It was like, you can't unsee what you've seen. And, you can't unknow what yeah, you know. Yeah, you can't unknow. And, um, and then the classics of, like, reading different perspectives on hell and uh, end times and the inerrancy of the Bible. It all just slowly came crashing down but but every time every step of the way i think this is different from a lot of people's journeys too is i felt like i can change things i could change things from the inside oh if i stay here i can be the person to really be like the voice for the voiceless i can speak truth to power so i'm still tithing and i'm still showing up and i'm still volunteering yeah, so I stayed longer than I probably should have um, because I thought. And what it's actually funny is, it, I was ready to leave. I ended up leaving in 2017, but I was ready to leave in 2014. Um, but I still wanted to do ministry just outside of that denomination. And my pastor convinced me to stay and try to make it work in that denomination because he said there's a lot more diversity than you think among the pastors in our denomination. And I believed him. Later, I would realize oh that my God, his idea of diversity. Lie. Yeah, his idea of diversity was way smaller, and I just didn't know. Um, like I remember one time we were talking. He was telling me how he has a really different perspective on tithing, and how he thinks like the whole ten percent thing is like an Old Testament thing. But there's this new model of New Testament giving where you like choose to give it differently. And he was like, "And this is really controversial because there's a lot of pastors that like get mad about this." And I'm sitting there not believing in hell. So it's like, uh, no, he's over here, like he's over here talking about his marketing <laughs> strategies and you're over here wondering about your soul and whether or not, like, if I tell, if I don't believe in hell, am I going there? You know? Yeah. It's like, is that really like what the devil's trying to do here? Right. It's, it's like these, uh, the different, the only differences he could imagine were just very small. And, um, and then leaving mm-hmm. always felt like, oh yeah, I was leaving a little corner of Christianity. Um, there's so much more. And so, yeah. But when it's your whole world, it's your whole world. Like, and that's what I think, like, it keeps us stuck for a while. Um, because especially like if you grew up, I saw this on a classic, I saw it on a TikTok the other day, but like, because of non-denominational, like evangelicalism, because there's no like governing body, like in mainline churches or something like that, there's like this myth, you just got to find the right church for you. You just got to find the right group of people. If I, and because like you go to these churches and you're not clicking and it's like, oh, the problem's me. I just, Mm -hmm. I haven't found the community that I fit into because I'm just 
too weird, too different. Or it's like, or that uncomfortable feeling you have is, is your inner self telling you that maybe this space is not quite cozy, you know, maybe not quite as welcoming as you wish it were. But then like, you know, like, especially if I grew up in it, you know, I, I found my community there. I was so afraid to leave because like what she said, I'm just like, I don't have anything or anybody else. Not really. You know, I left school. I became a missionary. I sacrificed all those relationships right out of college that to go and do what? And now here I am on the other side of it. My brain is exploding with these possibilities of who God could be. And on the one hand, it's exciting because I feel more free than I've ever felt. But on the other hand, I'm dreading the conversations I know are coming. And I have no idea what to do. And there's so many people where they get stuck right there and they just stay miserable because they think it could get worse and it will, but then it'll get really much. It gets so much better. Yes. And it's. (sighs) Absolutely. Yeah. I remember there's times before, um, after I left where I would would get sad about, uh, not having that community anymore or or miss like, you know, the, the the uniqueness of a Pentecostal service of the the intimacy that you experience at that kind of worship Mm -hmm. service. There, yeah. there was one night, like a couple of years after I left, where I was just, like, had this, this dark night where I was like, I need that. I need to go back to some sort of church that I know does those types of worship services, at least just for a night. And then I realized, like, their values are so out of step with mine. Like, I can't go mm-hmm. back at all. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like how I was imagining it would be. And so, yeah. But then, but now. It's like after, of course, had some time to heal and process a lot. Um, it's like, oh yeah, of course, I'm not gonna go back. It like this. Mm-hmm. Also, this is so much better. Um, being able to be free and honest in this way. Mm-hmm. I think also like it's that that longing, like like checking in. Okay, what am I really longing for here? Yeah. Like in that feeling when I'm missing something, I remember that same feeling. And I was still going back to the worship nights, still going to the live recordings with the house fires, you know, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. But it was always like, I was never really there. You know, I was like, my body was there and I was like getting into it. But it was just like in the back of my head, it's always thinking, that's never going to be you. They're never going to let you participate. You're like, you you know that you're born to be a worship leader that not here. They'll never let you do that. And it's like, it's kind of like you said, why am I doing this? What do I really want? I want love and appreciation Mm -hmm. and acceptance like everybody else. Why am I abusing myself by coming back here? I don't know. Maybe. And then like that right there, some people stop at the, I don't know. I don't know why I'm still doing it. And then we keep doing it. It's like, no, if you don't know why you're doing something, maybe you should stop doing it. Or maybe you should do something else. Like, that's really the thing. Not just stop doing it, but, like, what would be life-giving? You know, what change... um, So this is, like, a delicious question for you. In your shift of faith, as you become more yourself, what kinds... What does practice look like for you? What is Mm. prayer or worship or any shit like that? What does it look like you now on, like, this side of writing a whole book about what you believe or (laughs) how you practice? What's your, like, spiritual practice like? You know, over... um the last few months I've really like I'd, I'd done meditation for different seasons of life over the years and um, over the last few months I realized like I really need it uh, in, in ways that I hadn't before because 
um, been doing a lot with the book and getting mm-hmm. overwhelmed and overworking myself a bit and uh, just finding meditations where I can just relax, like the, the body scan of just relaxing bit by bit of your mm. body and just being in that. And I think at, at times I would get lost in thinking like, well, my brain moving fast is what enables me to do the the amount that I'm doing. I want to do more, but that, and if I were to slow down, then I would do even less and feel bad about it. And I realize it's the opposite. Like if my Hello. brain is still, and if I'm still, then mm-hmm. I have the ability to choose where my attention and focus goes. And <laughs> that's yes. been powerful. And so it's, uh, that's been really helpful um, just for my my own uh mental health and also my own soul um Mm. to be able to find peace and stillness and um be fully present and that going to therapy of course is super helpful come on (laughs) of Mm -hmm. course jesus and uh i what's what's funny what i was gonna say too uh before you ask that question is how sometimes we romanticize um yeah, how it was when, when we were back there. And I remember there was one time I was thinking, like, I wish I had more friends that, like, cared more about the thing that I was going through at the time and asked me more mm-hmm. and because that's what I had when I was at the church. But then I thought about right. it more and realized I was in a position of leadership. And so there were constantly people, like, around me and wanting to talk to me and wanting to be in my life. But it was because of the weird leadership dynamic in most churches where they're put on a pedestal that's why i had so many yeah that's why i had so many people wanted something from you yeah that's why i had so many people caring for me um and so i realized like wait that's i shouldn't want that that was weird that i had that um i need to find another way for example just telling my friends hey i would like you to be in my life in this way um it took me a long time to learn that skill because so, yeah. a lot of friendships were just given to me being in leadership in a church and so mm. it's uh yeah oh oh and, and i was going to say uh connected with therapy that it's like um I remember, yeah, back then I could just tell someone what I was going through and just talk and talk and talk and they would listen because I was their leader. And these days, if I do that with my friends, they'll usually listen, but eventually they'll want to say something about themselves. But that's normal. But with a therapist, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, this person is here to listen to me. And uh, so I'm just like getting a grasp of like normal relationships uh, years later. Mm-hmm. But um, ooh, yeah. ain't that the truth? Like learning how to be an adult and how to have adult relationships and communication. Yeah. Like we will bend our shell- ourselves in half, making ourselves miserable, arguing with somebody who isn't even in front of us. Like <laughs> yeah. the, I will tell you the truth. I've made myself miserable this week thinking about the possibility of something that's not probably going to happen. But my worst case scenario brain has just like, cause it hit me in my betrayal and like abandonment space. Yeah. And so like, that's what like sends me into it. And like being able to say, okay, I recognize that I am dysregulated. I recognize that my body is out of whack and I need to do something right now to slow my shit down. And two, recognize that my friends around me are not responsible for how I feel. Yeah. I am. I am responsible for me in this moment. If I'm good, it's me. If I feel bad, it's still me. You know? And, like, regardless of, like, what caused it, Mm -hmm. 
I am still responsible for taking care of me. And I think that shift in responsibility from kind of heaven to here, like putting it on God to like fix the world so that I can be happy. It's just like, no, like it really, for me, what my meditation practice has taught me is like you fix your inner world, your outer world just kind of, I'm not going to say it lines up, but you're definitely a lot more happy with it. Hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot there. And I, I feel like also, uh, I recognize that I'm talking at a million miles an hour. I apologize. No, I love it. I'm cat. I'm keeping up. Um, but I was going to say, like, spiritual communities should also foster that in people and cultivate that in people. Um, Come on. Like, showing them that you have such, um, you are so mo- much more valuable than what the world says you are or what ca- the capitalist system says you are. And mm-hmm. you, and so therefore, you should not put up with the ways that you are mistreated. Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of churches just perpetuate the ways that we're devalued and dehumanized by our systems in the world. And so, yeah, that's that's something too that I think um, mm. as we've grown through all this, it's something that I realize that like, oh, yeah, see these spiritual communities could do so much better having all these people together talking about their soul right. and what they're to do in the world. Oh, man, there's so much better potential there than what how it's being used in so many settings. I know. And that's like what, like, I wonder about, like, what does the future of spiritual community look like outside of strict Christianity? Mm-hmm. Because there are people who are never going to darken the doors of a church ever again, period. But I know so many, like, every single person I talk to, every single person I work with says, I miss community. Mm-hmm. I miss gathering with like-minded people. And what's so wild is like the church, you know, whether it's independent or part of a larger institution, there's an infrastructure there already. It's like, oh, my God, like groups between 30 and 3000 people are gathering on a Sunday at a regular time to discuss what to think about what to pray for what bullshit most of the time. And then there are a few communities out there I look at. I'm like, um, I'm thinking about Hartway in Miami, um, which is Danny Prada's church. Like, he gives the kind of, like, he still, like, uses the Bible, still teaches from it, but he does it from, like, this delicious mindfulness perspective that actually is directly applicable without being fucking corny and shitty. Yeah. And not, like, denying people's, like, suffering either. And I feel like a lot of the work I do, I'm like, I would love to be able to sit in a room, have someone come up and talk, and then, like, let's earth seed this shit. Let's, like, critique. Mm. Let's, like, ask questions. Let's push back. Let's take it further. Let's Mm -hmm. be theologians together. Um, Because we all are fucking theologians anyways. Just because someone has a degree doesn't mean they actually know God. Yeah. Just for the fucking record. (laughs) Exactly. Tell you what, I I sat in a systematic theology class one time. (laughs) And I told a professor to his goddamn face, he said, like, he was talking, we were talking about something. I was just like, what do you, it was like, the, the prompt was, what do you think about the statement that God created the world? I said, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Because I'm like, what does that have to do with this? Like, we, we can get to these grand questions, but first, why are we not dealing with, like, people's actual real life suffering first? Teaching them how to get out of that if they, like... Mm-hmm. some things are systemic a lot of things are in the mind yeah 
And yeah, there's a lot of those points, uh, like having to believe the right thing about the creation of the world, are their main purpose is usually just uh, power, holding authority over people to be like, um, you have to believe this and this and this, mm. and if you don't, then you're outside of the group. And it's a bu- there's a bunch of those things that, like you said, don't matter. It's like, mm-hmm. why are we drawing the line around this and this and that? When it's like the, yeah, pe- people in the Bible didn't seem to care. It was mentioned in Genesis, maybe once kind of in Job, and then that was it. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. But when, when we start getting these ideas and like start letting these ideas begin to move us and move us, I almost said move us and groove us. When they begin to move <laughs> us and groove us. Like, we begin to see, like, the disillusion of so many things that we think are so necessary. And this is, like, um, I wanted to pull on another thing from your book. You talk about abolition, like, the abolition of everything. Not just of, you know, modern-day slavery, but things, but the abolition of prisons. The abolition Mm -hmm. of of places of, 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 like, crime, like, punishment. Because, like, it's not just, like, you, you lay it out deliciously. It's not just, like, here in, like, you know, this is where the Bible kind of points to it, but it's just like this is detrimental to human flourishing, and it's also mm-hmm. like rooted in so much racism. But talk to me a little bit about like the dream of abolition, yeah, um, from your perspective. I do, uh, yeah. I talk about how the abolition of chattel slavery wasn't enough. Um, the there was a short Reconstruction era that got got cut off when there needed to be a building of new institutions to um, build up black communities. And W.E.B. Du Bois uh, coined this term abolition democracy, like a a democracy where abolition is the central idea. Abolition Mm. is on the horizon of what we're working toward. And instead, we just went the opposite direction, building the prison industrial complex and turning... And um, I think it was, yeah, in the South, introducing black codes and the a former enslaved class was turned into a criminalized class and slavery continued in prisons. And what we see, uh, and then what we see with the evolution of the police, that the first police force in London were designed to suppress worker strikes because all they had before that were soldiers, and they didn't want to kill them because they still wanted their labor power, so they just wanted a force of people to beat them up and so or imprison them. And so mm-hmm. that, that ended up inspiring the North, and then in the South, the slave patrol ended up evolving into their police. And we see throughout history as, um, of course, the prison industrial complex, which the complex includes prisons, policing and surveillance but Mm. as that has all evolved uh we see that we use that to as like our only attempt at a solution for social problems Mm. and we can't it's it doesn't work uh social control in response to social problems what we do see is social problems including crime end up decreasing when poverty decreases and when communities are better resourced and i love how uh, mariam kaba an awesome abolitionist talked about how 
uh, people often will ask, well, what do we do if something happens and we need to call the police? And she said a better question than that is, why don't our communities have better resources to turn to instead of just turning to state violence whenever there's a problem? And so that's mm. what we're trying. Abolition is first and foremost about building alternatives. Um, it's not just about tearing everything down. It's about um, resourcing our communities in a way that we can take care and protect ourselves. And, and then, of course, um, that's what we're building toward. And so... Any, yeah, any, I also talk a lot about reform and critiquing reformist mm -hmm. stuff and talk about like the only reformist policies I think we should support are ones that fund our communities and mm -hmm. defund the police. Um, not, and yet there's so many reformist policies that just give more money to the police, which leads to more Ooh. violence. Hello. And, uh, oh yeah. And then that connects to, it's in this chapter called abolition come on earth as it is in heaven. And mm -hmm. I talk about what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the reign of God. And it wasn't some place else and some time else. It was Hello. here right now within us and mm -hmm. growing outward. And materializing the reign of God means um, fulfilling this vision that Jesus had where everyone's needs are taken care of. But to such an extent that the power dynamic is flipped where the first become last and the last become first. And so with such a radical vision as that, Christians should have way more of a radical imagination. And it disappoints mm. me when we get into conversations of the prison industrial complex and police violence when Christians are like, well, that's too impractical. That's too extreme. It's like, we believe that this whole thing is headed toward the reconciliation of all things, the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things. We should be for the most radically expansive alternatives. And so, Hello. yeah, that's what I talk about. Like that right there, I think I'm just like, you're, you follow like, like the, the thing that Jesus was trying to do, like, like you just said, just like, you know, if you, even if you still think Jesus is like, the, the problem is I think so many people think Jesus is going to come back and fix all this. So like they push their responsibility onto the rapture, yeah. which is not going to happen. You know, sorry, if you're out there and this is the first time you're hearing it, Jesus is not coming back in the way that you think he is. Yes. Ooh. Uh, then so we'll talk so about it's okay, So it's okay to have sex, everybody. Yeah, it's okay, it's okay to <laughs> masturbate. You know, Jesus, don't worry about the second coming when you are. You got it. You know. Got it. Um, but it's, I think I wrote about this like in like one of my last college, my last seminary papers was, the reality, I'm just like, I think what keeps so many evangelicals stuck, a lot of like conservative folks stuck, is this belief that somebody else is coming to fix this. Mm. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, at what point are you going to like, you know, you're out here screaming into the void saying, God, why aren't you here? And then there's an echo from the void coming back saying, God, why, <laughs> Ooh, that's why aren't you? Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, God, why, why aren't you doing anything? And like the, the voice says, hey, God, why aren't you doing anything? It's just like, that's really like, I think like God is calling us towards the, the participation. Yeah. Like, toward, it's like, like, you want peace? You want to end war? End the war in yourself first. And then like, let's talk about those other things. You know, you want to be, you want to love thy neighbor? No, there's nothing stopping you. It's, yeah. 
But like you said, just like if if we are supposed to be following the Prince of Peace, it is maddening that there is such small and little, small and little spiritual imagination that says, oh, a peaceful alternative couldn't be possible. <laughs> We've always just fucking beat people up. We've always just yeah. fucked people up. So let's, I'm just like, let me tell you what, did you, uh, uh, t- mm. let me not critique my mother's parenting right now. That's not what we're here to do. <laughs> we're not going to talk about violence. Um, but, um. We'll save that for a parenting podcast. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I know we're coming up on time. I always end okay. asking five questions of every human who comes through. So, Is this the hot uh, seat me- right now? Nah, you know, medium seat. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, number one, do you think I'm pretty? Just kidding. That's not the question. <laughs> of course. Um, ah, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, number one. What is one thing you like about yourself? Ooh. My creativity, and I feel like uh, I'm talking about like a lot of things in this book and in my videos that people would put in the category of like intellectual, because it's mm. it could get pretty nerdy. But I, f- I feel like I'm because I grew up um, like as an artist, writing and um, making music, and I feel like I'm just using that same brain, but just with theological stuff now, and just mm-hmm. like creatively connecting those things. So yeah, I'm really happy yeah, yeah. about that. What's one thing you're really proud of? Um, I think <laughs> I was I was first going to say writing this book, but I think really deeper than that is persevering through writing a whole book and through Ooh. the promotion of a whole book um, because there are plenty of spots where I would have loved to just stop and chill and not uh meet those deadlines and everything but yeah i got to persevere through that and i'm still here and i'm still going and i'm stronger for i'm it. still here <laughs> here do you know what i'm referencing i don't think so oh my god just go look up just look up i'm still here me and it's a <laughs> okay. it's a video okay. um I'll, I'll send it to you yeah um what is one thing that really just pisses you off or is like a pet peeve for you uh, people being inconsiderate of others and, uh, like, yeah, I don't know. It's also rooted. I mean, yeah, this is probably true for everybody's pet peeve. It's also rooted in my own problems of like control and like wanting to, uh, like in a lot of situations I'm paying attention to, like, like if I'm inviting people over, I'm paying attention to like every little bit to make sure everything's going well, everyone feels welcome. And then when I'm in someone else's house where they're not doing that at all, I'm just like so mad. But I, I admit it's probably part of my problem too. <laughs> Listen, I used to be that way, and now, like, I will say, like, I'm, I'll invite people over, and I'll basically like, here's the cocktail, there's the bathroom. I'm, we're all gonna chill out here. You're welcome to chill wherever you want. You know, like, I'm not responsible for your, um, for yeah. your happiness. Um, which, like, that's still people, a lot more than what a lot of my friends do. I that mean, the thing great. is just like, I'm going to set, I'm going to set the scene for yes. you to have the yeah. best time. And I'm not going to worry about whether or not you're having a good time. Because <laughs> if I'm, if like, that's just, I can't help you with that. That's something you're believing about or having, like, if you don't want to be here and you're not having a good time, you should leave. Yeah, that's great. You know, but I'm going to have a good time regardless. So <laughs> that's great. Um, it's like what I, that's from, that's how I also plan my birthdays. I'm just like, I'm going to go have fun. If you want to show up, <laughs> please do. That's good. Um, also Scorpio shit, just Scorpio shit. Um, 
What's one thing you're super committed to? Making my work accessible. And Mm. it's not not because I'm dumbing it down or anything. It's because I have normal friends who aren't like all super educated in this stuff. And I think a lot of people who talk about this kind of stuff could get have a very limited perspective and think like, oh yeah, everybody knows these Bible stories and my job is to reinterpret them for people. When in reality, there's a lot of people that don't even know the Bible stories that we're trying to reinterpret. And so mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I think that's been helped by most of my friends aren't religious in any way. And mm-hmm. so that's like, I think kept me sane and kept me focused on like a good goal of like making this stuff make sense to my friends and to other people who aren't nerds about this shit. Yeah. Very important that, to me. I mean, that's also something like that was my big critique of like when I was in seminary, I was like, why is all this dope theology locked up here behind mm-hmm. $40,000 a year uh, for this education? And it's like, we've got all this dope theology. It's also floating around in like mainline churches and pres- you know, I was at a Presbyterian seminary and I'm just like, but the format just sucks. Nobody, like, this is so fucking boring. And yet we've got all of these evangelical megachurches out there with this really shit theology and really, like, who know, like, who are fucking using music and magic to and, and sexy people to manipulate others into uh, a kind of stupor and they don't even know that they're doing it. Like, that's the thing. is like most people on these megachurches, most of them are unaware yeah. Most of them are completely unconscious of what they're doing. But that's another podcast for another time. Um, last question. What's one thing you want to do before you die? Mm. Hmm. I know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be super serious. It can be just like a bucket list thing, too. I think uh, help make sure my parents are good. Because, like, mm. I think a lot of people grow up in environments where somehow there are people with family members that are rich. And when they run into something, they just ask their rich uncle or grandparent or whatever, which I cannot relate with at all. And so mm. my parents very much used every bit they had um, to help us growing up. And so, yeah, I would like them to relax in the last at least a couple decades of their life um mm. so yeah that's that's definitely important to me they because they've been very supportive and i've been very fortunate about that too with um mm. my work and my book is they've they've evolved over time but i think it's because i'm i'm stubborn and just kept talking about this stuff and mm. at first they would get angry at it and then over time they started to soften a bit because i wouldn't stop talking about it and so mm. they're they've been really supportive too so that's been awesome mm. i love that uh, Damon Garcia, author of The God Who Riots, coming out August 23rd. Oh, yes? Yes. Okay, August 23rd from uh, Broadleaf Books, available wherever fine books are sold. Please go pre-order it now. And would you please tell the cute humans on the internet, where can they can find you, connect with you? Where can they give you money? <laughs> oh, uh, that's good. DamonGarcia.com is an easy one. And also... I'm on YouTube. Just search Damon Garcia uh, on Twitter and Instagram at who is Damon. 
and follow me on there message me saying i heard you on tiny revolution and then we'll talk uh i'm also on patreon patreon.com slash damon garcia nobody nobody on any podcast ever asked me how can people give you money that's good well people on these other podcasts are just fucking assholes (laughs) i suppose aren't they yeah exactly here's my thing i want all my friends i want everyone listening go follow damon then also like give him money like yes i'm I'm also who is damon on venmo let's get who is damon on venmo send him a dollar send him two dollars you know you know whatever you if this if this conversation blessed you in some way you can support the people who are making it i've got a little thing called the crowded table damon's got a patreon these are the ways that you can support us and you can support us by buying our books yeah like, this is the thing about being like indie people out here in these streets yeah. is like we're kind of like scraping together a career out of nothing like this what we're doing here does not exist right now there is no infrastructure so yes. i just want to say to the people out there support your creatives who are making content that matters um so if not me if not damon someone in your life that's doing something good in the world because guess what we have to get there together and we still got to eat you know and so if you want us to make more cool shit like this five bucks a month really does make a fucking difference seven bucks a month really does make a difference okay so end rant and i love you thank you for coming on the show thank you for having me yeah have fun And that was my conversation with Damon Garcia. Damon, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we finally met. I know that we've been family for a long, long time. <laughs> it's just a delicious time to um, get to kick around these ideas with you. So thank you for giving me an example of what a dope Christian might look like. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, once again, go buy the book, The God Who Riots, Taking Back the Radical Jesus by Damon Garcia. It just published this past Tuesday, so it is available everywhere fine books are sold. Please try to patronize your indie bookstores when you can, y'all. Come on now. And, um, yeah. Oh, and go subscribe to his YouTube channel as well. It's a really, really, especially if you're wanting to, like, think about, talk about progressive Christian stuff and, like, progressive faith in general. He's got, he's got good shit to say. Um... I think that I think it's about speaking of subscribe, you can also go over to my channel on YouTube and watch this entire interview back if you're the kind of person who likes to to see who you're talking with. Um, it's always fun to see who like comments there. Um, be sure to follow me across the internet at the Kevin Garcia. And if you're interested in doing any sort of coaching work or joining the fall cohort, please go to thekevingarcia.com. You can get the first chapter of my book for free you can get a little audio sample as well if you're you know more of a a listener to book things and if you want to support this show you can do so by joining the crowded tables online community it's just seven bucks a month and i'm thinking about the the way that we're expanding and the way that i want to do community together so um, go to my social media, and if you're interested in possibly creating regular gatherings of like-minded, spiritual heretics like you and me, um, come to this little informational meeting. Let's see what we can dream up together. Um, I think that kind of does it for me this week. So till next time, take your meds, call your person, shake your ass a little bit, tell somebody that you love them if you love them, but don't tell them if you don't. That's my advice for the week. Okay. Love you so much. I hope you have an incredible day. Be blessed. Bye.